0: This podcast has been prepared exclusively for institutional, wholesale, professional clients, and qualified investors only, as defined by local laws and regulations. Please read other important information, which can be found on the link at the end of the podcast episode.
1: Good afternoon. This is Michael Semblat with the Mid-August Eye on the Market podcast. We talk this week about. the virus decline in the US, some serology testing from the UK, uh, some interesting analysis we've seen on a housing shift to less less dense locations uh, in a work from home type world, uh, some e-commerce changing patterns, and also uh, I want to finish up with some disappointing comments on some financial industry co-conspirators in the war on science. So just to get started, U.S. infections are down for peak levels around 20% or so, but the declines flattened out recently, I think for a couple of reasons. First, uh, we saw a trend a couple of weeks ago that there was a spike in the percentage of doctor visits for people that have COVID-like symptoms. Uh, we, we still don't know enough about how good that leading indicator is, but that could have been a clue that we would see a little bit of a slowdown in the pace of improvement. And I think more importantly, <laughs> everyone has to realize Unlike other countries, the United States does not have internal border controls, or at least any that are efficiently maintained. I was talking to a colleague the other night um, in Australia, and uh, travel between uh, different provinces and states there is basically forbidden between places like Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, In the U.S., we don't really have that, and I think there's too much focus on infections at the state level because they ignore the ease with which people can cross state lines. And we have a little map in our chart of the week thing this week that shows how the former hotspot states, California, Arizona, Texas, and Florida, uh, have transmitted the infection to the new hotspot states, uh, whether we're looking at parts of the Midwest or the Northwest or the Southeast. So um, the infection situation is getting better. The mortality situation is much better than it was during the spring. uh, But we're not seeing the kind of decline that was seen earlier in europe and 46 out of 50 u.s states still have higher infection rates than europe on a trailing seven-day basis so things are getting better on the virus front but slowly Uh, another interesting data point comes from the uk we've been tracking all of the large population serology tests in other words testing several thousand people or 50 or 100,000 people to see if they've got covid antibodies and uh I personally was hoping for some higher numbers from the ones that just came out of the UK, but all they got was 6% in all of England and 13% for London. And so um, we don't know exactly what the herd immunity levels are, but I have a feeling they're not six and 13%. So, uh, but that's the latest results. We have some charts on that. So I want to talk for a minute on about a couple of post COVID trends in the chart of the week last week, which you can go back and look at, uh, based on the fact that we've now got access to the chase debit and credit card data um, we're we're tracking high frequency information on e-commerce pretty closely and of course e-commerce across a lot of different segments spiked in april but i do think it's notable that here we are you know we're still only 20 percent down from peak levels and we're already starting to see Uh, a decline in some of the e-commerce shares in some pretty big categories. So, for example, overall retail, the average last year of e-commerce shares was, let's say, 43%. It peaked at 70 in April this year. It's already down to 56. Um, Healthcare pharmacy, 27% e-commerce shares in 2019. Spiked to 45, already down to 32. So I, I know there's a lot of futurists and other forecasters who are expecting a massive mega shift in spending patterns from in-store consumption to e-commerce. Maybe, but all but here's what we can see so far, uh, which is that some of those e-commerce shares are already declining. Um, and as I mentioned before, the infections are still only 20% peak, below peak level. So when the U.S. infection levels really do decline, it's quite possibly that e-commerce shares of different spending categories will be much closer to 2019 levels than where they were in 2020. Now, in contrast, something that we looked at that, that's pretty interesting is some data from the American Enterprise Institute. They have a housing analysis group, and they were trying to assess whether a work-from-home world would prompt more people to move to more remote locations where homes are cheaper and land is a lot cheaper. So we, we've got a chart in here that shows some of the results, uh, the bottom line is in some cities, not all of them, but in some cities like L.A., New York, Miami, Phoenix, Houston, uh, there is evidence that you're seeing a greater share than usual of people buying homes in less dense locations. Now, the way that you look at this is complicated. you got to look and, and see what land prices are as a percentage Of total home prices uh, by quintile of density Um, that we have a chart here that shows that you know for example in Los Angeles in the most dense areas uh, land is as much as 65 to 75 percent of the total value of the home you move to less dense locations not only is the house cheaper but land is 40 to 50 percent of the price of the home and in Houston more remote locations lands 20 to 30 percent of the price of the home obviously gives people the ability to to save money and also spend more on the structure than on the land itself, uh, so we are seeing evidence compared to prior years that there's a greater share of home buyers that are moving to some of these more remote locations now this is the information from May, June, and July right in the wave you know in the in the initial wave of the pandemic, and you know, maybe as the virus eventually shrinks in terms of prevalence, people will um, start being more comfortable uh, moving back to those urban locations in the same degree that they did in the past. But it is interesting, at least so far, that that work from home is changing the, not just the ability of homeowners, but the interest in the mobility of buyers to, to take advantage of these cheaper remote locations. You know, to be clear, the economic incentives to move uh, have always existed. Um, but a work from home world for the first time, uh, creates those possibilities for certain people that couldn't do it before. I want to close this week's podcast with something that was pretty disappointing to me. Um, a few weeks ago, I wrote about how scientists are paying more attention to T-cells, right? Antibodies are not the only weapon the body uses to fight off viruses. T-cells can play a role as well. Um, you know the invading pathogens either either weaker or destroys and and a lot of scientific studies have come out over the last month or so showing that a subset of people may have some pre-existing T cells that at least recognize uh, COVID and give the body a head start in fighting it um, but that's great news but you know, all this research contains all sorts of caveats on how not to misread it and you know for example one of the primary authors said look this is not immunity it's cross-reactive immune memory. That sounds like a lot of jargon, but the distinctions are critical because T-cell immunity suggests ironclad protection from even getting the disease, while cross-reactive immune memory uh, simply means that the uh, infection will be less severe. And uh, it's, not that, it's not that difficult to think to understand. Immunity implies no transmission of the viral virus from people that are exposed to it while if T cells work the way that the scientists think they do, even people that are asymptomatic and, and don't get very sick can still transmit the disease to other people. and you know These distinctions are apparently too bothersome for some people in our industry to pay attention to. Uh, a couple of weeks ago in the chart of the week, I, I, uh, I cited one of the research firms that I sometimes read. Uh, for some very sloppy science work. And now this same firm again has once again negatively contributed to the uh, war on science that's taking place. They cited some of this research. Um, And what they did was they cited a medical doctor's tweets on Twitter that had very optimistic reads of this whole thing. It included comments that herd immunity may be reached at just 10 to 20% COVID penetration. Uh, And also that that pharma companies are responsible for, I'm quoting here, an overly aggressive push for lockdowns and masks. These comments were so off base that the author of the T-cell paper from the La Jolla Institute of Immunology himself uh, responded via Twitter to say that his work was being misinterpreted and that the doctor in question that this Wall Street research firm uh, was citing was making very dangerous claims about herd immunity levels. And, you know, I had a spare... Half an hour. So I did some digging to learn more about this doctor that this research firm was citing. And here's what I found in just 15 minutes of digging. He's a member of a group called America's Frontline Doctors, whose COVID videos have been pulled by social media companies for distributing misinformation. He has a not medical advice caveat on his Twitter profile. He has no known experience treating COVID. He's a former ophthalmologist who's no longer practicing. His medical license expired in 2019 after which he launched a blockchain fund. And he was part of the whole hydroxychloroquine misinformation chain that that culminated with the president recommending it. I mean, I suppose it could have been worse and they could have quoted Dr. Bombay from the old Bewitch show, but but he may be hard to find. Look, there's a lot that's not known yet about COVID and it's possible that T-cell... T-cells play a very big role in both disease severity and the risk of reinfection. Nobody knows all the answers yet, and the opinions vary. But compared to other countries, uh, the U.S. has had a much more difficult time flattening and lowering the virus curve. And misinformation and regurgitation of really poorly vetted sources are part of the reasons why. And it was one of the more disturbing pieces of research I've seen. And so you know, we're going to continue to... To focus on all the things that we can see so we can make sure that at least our clients understand um, what's going on as best as we possibly can. So thank you for, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.
0: Michael Semblis, Eye on the Market, offers a unique perspective on the economy, current events, markets, and investment portfolios, and is a production of JP Morgan Asset and Wealth Management. Michael Semblis is the Chairman of Market and Investment Strategy for J.P. Morgan Asset Management and is one of our most renowned and provocative speakers. For more information, please subscribe to the Eye on the Market by contacting your J.P. Morgan representative. If you'd like to hear more, please explore episodes on iTunes or on our website. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is a communication on behalf of J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments Incorporated. Views may not be suitable for all investors and are not intended as personal investment advice or as solicitation or recommendation. Outlooks and past performance are never guarantees of future results. This is not investment research. Please read other important information which can be found at www.jpmorgan.com forward slash disclaimer dash EOTM.